The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Take your Bibles with me this morning. Turn to Mark chapter 2. I'm going to preach a message this morning entitled, Crowds, Critics, and Christ. Uh, So let's all stand together as we look at Mark chapter 2, and I'll read verses 1 through 12. And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, are to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all. And so much that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for the strength of your word. Thank you for the power that it holds in our hearts and minds. We pray today for all those that do not know you, who do not understand this great power that you have, do not understand the great love wherewith you love us. I pray you'd touch hearts today. I pray you'd, you'd strengthen us as your children. I pray you'd... Save those that may not be saved. And across this nation, as your word is preached today, I pray that you would be glorified. Bless us now as we gather and, 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 and dig into your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In today's passage, we find three groups of people. We find the crowd. We find the critics. And we find the crippled. Now, each of us present this morning will fit into one of these three groups. For the next few moments, I'd like you to focus on only one person. I'd like you to focus on you. Don't focus on your spouse. Don't focus on your children. Don't focus on those around you. Focus on only yourself as we examine these three groups And see if you can find yourself in one of them. So first this morning, let us look at the crowd. 
Let's look again at Mark chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised, or published, or announced, that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, and so much that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door, and he preached unto the, the word unto them. Uh, in verse 1 it says he was, it was noise that he was in the house, or that it was published or proclaimed throughout the city. Jesus is over here. Jesus has arrived. He's come to town, and he's in such and such a house. And the Bible says that it was so, there was so much of a crowd that gathered, you couldn't even approach the door of the house. You couldn't, you couldn't get near a window even to, to look into the house and see Jesus. Now, as was always the case, Jesus' presence drew a crowd. In the cities, along the shores, even in the wilderness, people gathered around him. The diseased, the despondent, the discouraged, the desolate, all came to Jesus for some type of help. And even today in our churches across our nation, we still often see crowds gather around Jesus. And most of the times, these crowds gather because they are seeking something. And each instance that we find in Scripture, when the people gathered in great numbers unto Jesus, it was for the same reasons, the same motives. And these same motives are what men also seek today. First this morning, I want us to see that they came seeking provision. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, we read, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Now, this was a fairly common focus of people in Christ's time. You see, there were no unemployment compensation. You, couldn't, you, you didn't go to your mailbox uh, every other Thursday and find an unemployment check there. There were no welfare programs. People literally lived day to day. Clothing, shelter, food, these things were luxuries to most people in, the, in, in, the, in those times. But today, most of us do not suffer a lack of these types of things, of these bare necessities. Yet, the crowd still gathered today. They too gather, seeking something from Jesus. Now, I find it interesting. You know, over the years, I, Brother Lou takes attendance every Sunday, but I've shadowed that attendance for many years because uh, I, I, I break it down into demographics and, and report it to the pastor, and he and I can look at maybe some things that we need to do differently or, 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 or uh, and such a thing. And I, I've, I've kept attendance over the years, and it's interesting for me to note that the attendance of some people when they need something from God, increases. Maybe they got laid off. Maybe there's an illness in the family. 
But I, I notice their attendance is much more regular and, and, and much improved. But then, when things get better, when they find that job or that illness wasn't really what they thought it was or whatever it may be, I, you know, I notice that it, their attendance begins to go down again. You see, our society is built upon greed and gain. The more we have, what? The more we want. The eye, the Bible says, is never satisfied with seeing. I've, I've had people come to me and say, boy, if I could just make more money, if, I want to say, then you'd spend more money. Because that's the nature of man. The more we, the more we have, the more we want. And if it means that we have to go into debt to have it, then so be it. And some have levied their entire futures because of this attitude of greed and gain that permeates our nation. So we levy our entire futures, and in desperation, when all falls apart and we find ourselves in in just a horrible situation, in desperation, what do we do? We turn to God. And we come to him, and we expect him to bail us out. We expect God to come along and make everything right again. Now, if you are a child of God today, then you need to learn to live within your means and be content with the things that God has given you. God has already promised us, didn't he? Didn't he promise that he would provide for us and that he, he would take care of all of our needs? Then we must trust him. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 and 19, verse 19, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, I'm certainly not saying that we as Christians don't have a right to live in the best house we can live in, drive the best car we can drive, and, and things such as that. But those things should not be our motivation. They should not drive us. Our love for God and, and our willingness to serve him and our desire to glorify him should be the driving force of our life. Not how big of a house do we have or how big of a car do we have. You know, I'm going to die a poor man. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to leave my children very much other than maybe some bills. But I tell you what, I'm rich in the grace of God. I have a mansion in heaven. I will walk on streets of gold. And is it too great a cost for me to sacrifice my life to the glory of God the Father? Is it too much for me to, 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 to set my priorities in life that... God is first and foremost? I think not. God always makes good on his promises. In Psalm 37, David writes, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young and now am old, Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. 
I could stand here for hours, as I'm sure many of you could, and, and testify of God's great provision for me in times when I had nothing. My wife and I, we had nothing, yet God provided. I don't, I don't ever remember, I don't remember one night in our entire life where we went to bed hungry because we didn't have food to eat. I never remember a night we had to, we had to cower in the car because we had no roof over our head. Other than the one night my wife had took me to the hospital and I had to stay there and her and the kids came home and they found out the house key was locked in the house and they spent most of the night in the car. But God has always provided for us. I've, I've, never, I've never awakened in the morning and had no clothes to put on my back to, to go out about my day. I've never, I've never lacked for any of those things and I, I, I dare to say neither have you because God is faithful. And because God takes care of his children, he provides. But he does expect that we will glorify him and that we will honor him. And if we do lack anything, it is usually because we have been poor stewards of the provisions that God has given us. God God gives us the money we need, but what do we do? Well, we blow it on things we don't need. And because of that, we come up short, and then we want to blame God. Then we want to stand there and say, well, God, God didn't take care of me. You see, for the most part, the crowd that gathered around that home wasn't seeking God's glory. They were seeking to satisfy their own needs and their own lusts. And today, unfortunately, many of the people that gather in our churches and crowd around the word of God are seeking the same things. They're not seeking God's glory. They're seeking their own wants and their own lusts. But then this morning, I also want us to notice, secondly, that they came seeking power. In Luke chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, Jesus states, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rejoice, or rather rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. There were those in the crowds who coveted the power of Jesus and his disciples. They did not seek the power of God, however, so that they could serve him, or so that they could use that power to glorify his name. They sought this power so that they might use it, To their own advantages. There were those in in this crowd who thought Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government. And, And by being near him, they felt they would gain power when he gained power. They did not understand that Jesus came not to conquer but to save. Jesus said, for I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Not to judge. That day was going to come. But in this day, Jesus was here to seek and save, not to conquer. Not to judge. But these sought the power that would have come along with with Jesus gaining authority over the Roman government. Some sought the power to cast out devils and demons. We see this in scripture Some sought the power to to be able to turn the 
uh, the, the water into wine. Some sought the power to take one fish and, and, and make it to where it could feed 5,000. Men sought the power that came with Jesus. And we still see this today. Over the last 35 years in the ministry, I've seen people come into our fellowship seeking authority, seeking power, craving for fame, craving for recognition. I remember many, many years ago, I'm, 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 I mean, I'm talking 13, 14, 15 years ago, we had a man came into this church. I won't use his name. But he came into this church. He claimed to be a Christian and, and he, he joined our church and, and he began fellowship with us. And then one day he, he wanted to become a deacon. The problem is he was divorced. And he was told you can't be a deacon. And he got angry and he left. That man didn't come seeking God's glory. He came seeking authority. He came seeking an office, a position. He came seeking recognition. But what does our Lord say about this? In Matthew chapter 23, verses 11 and 12, we read, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Why are you here today? Are you here to be patted on the back? Are you here to, 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 to have authority, to, to gain some inroad, to, to, to gain some some? To, to snuggle up to the pastor and find yourself being the big shot in the church? Now, I don't think anyone here has that attitude, but we have to be careful. Because absolute power corrupts absolutely. And men are prideful. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves laboring for Christ, not for his glory, but for our own recognition. God's power is the means, but his glory is the end. Use the power that God has given you to bring glory and honor to his name, not for personal gain or recognition. I, I think of Mr. Elvis Presley. How many of you have ever heard of Elvis Presley? You know, Elvis Presley was a Sunday school teacher. Did you know that? He was a choir director. Did you know that? And God gifted him, gave him a great talent and a great ability. And what did he do with it? Did he glorify God with it? Who did he glorify? Himself. God has given you a talent. Every one of you here, I don't know what it is, but God has given every one of us a gift. Are you using it for him? Are you using it for his glory? See, the, the crowd came because they wanted power. But then thirdly, we see that the crowd came seeking profit. John chapter 6 and verse 66, we read, For uh, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Many went back. They went back to their homes. They went back to their old lifestyles. They went back to their old religious beliefs. 
But why did they go back? Well, they went back because they realized what was expected of them. And they weren't willing to pay the price. In John chapter 6 and verse 60, we read, Many therefore his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Jesus preached to them about, about holiness and righteousness, and, and that was too much. That was too difficult for them. Oh, they were, they were willing to go along for the ride. They enjoyed the free meals that came along with following Jesus. And they were even uplifted and inspired by his preaching and, and by all the miracles they saw that he performed. But when Jesus started talking about bearing crosses, when he started preaching about righteousness and holiness, they decided the benefit was not worth the commitment. And I've seen this many times. Oh, people come and they, 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 they come for the fellowship. They come, they come because they like the music. They, they come because they, they enjoy the preaching. But then as soon as you talk about, hey, we need to go out. As soon as the preacher starts convicting them in their heart, you need to go out and witness for Christ. You need to be a soul winner. You need to tithe and you need to be faithful in your giving and, and, and sacrificially giving. As soon as he starts talking about, well, you know, you need to walk in holiness and live righteously. Mm, wait a minute now. That they're not willing to do. You see, the crowd was seeking the wrong things. They were seeking the food. They were seeking fame. They were seeking fortune. And in the end, they went away empty and sad. And that's the way most people walk away from Jesus. Because they come to him for the wrong reasons. What about us today? What do we seek from Christ? Ask yourself that question and answer that question to yourself. What do you seek from Christ? Why are you following Jesus? Why are you part of the crowd? Why do you come to him? But there's another group that we need to consider this morning, and that second group is the critics. Let's look again at Mark chapter 2 and verse 6 and 7. We read, but there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Now, in every crowd, you're always going to find critics. I got news for you. There are critics here this morning. Anytime a crowd gathers, you're going to have some critics there. They, they are those who look for the negatives in everything. Oh, it's too hot in the church today. Oh, it's too cold today. Oh, the pastor preaches too long. Oh, those deacons, I tell you, they're a bunch of hypocrites. Did you hear, did you hear him singing up there? He was, he was just doing it for his own glory. Don't, don't look down at the floor right now, okay? Because I'm preaching to myself, too. I'm not just preaching to you. But in every crowd, there are critics. 
They, pre- they, cri- they criticize the music. They criticize the pews. They criticize the hymnals. They criticize the video system. They criticize the preacher. They criticize the preaching. They criticize the deacons. They criticize the Sunday school. They criticize the nursery. They criticize everything. But themselves. You're right, brother. I remember growing up and sit around the dinner table. If the conversation began to turn toward someone, daddy would say, stop it right now. We don't talk about anyone that's not here sitting around this table. We've lost that in our nation today and in our homes. We, we become critical people. We criticize the government. We criticize everything and, and everyone but ourselves. Now, in our passage today, we see that these scribes were critical of Jesus because he offered forgiveness of sins to the palsied man. They mistook Christ as a mere man, a mortal, just as they. And as a mere man, his proclamation of these sins being forgiven would have been blasphemy. However, I must conclude that these men, as critics usually are, were ignorant of the truth. Now, what drives the heart of a critic? What causes you and me to become critical? Well, there, there are many possibilities, but I wanted to just focus on two for a moment. Number one, they were consumed by jealousy. They were consumed by jealousy. They weren't concerned with whether or not Jesus just committed blasphemy. They were concerned because they were jealous of him. In Acts chapter 13, we read in verses 44 and 45, And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. You see, the scribes and Pharisees could not defeat this man, Jesus. He confounded them with his doctrine. He exposed them with his preaching, and he humbled them with his miracles. And because of this, they hated him more and more every day. You see, the scribes and Pharisees could not see the truth in Christ because they were too busy clinging to their traditions. They could not fit their traditions into Christ's doctrine. This bred jealousy, which led to bitterness and hatred. Now hear me today, put away bitterness before it destroys you and everyone you love. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15, we read, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Don't be jealous of others who can do what you cannot do. Don't be jealous of those who have what you do not have. Rejoice with them. If someone can do something you can't do, rejoice. That's, there's someone that can do it. If someone has something that you don't have, rejoice with them that they have it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 26, Paul reminds us, And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Jealousy will cause us to become critical will cause us to become negative-minded. This will lead us to discontent, which will lead us to bitterness, which will lead to hatred. And this is exactly where we see the critics in today's passage. We see that they were driven by jealousy, but then also 
They were captives of judgment. In Matthew chapter 7, we read, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. The critics could not help but be judgmental of others because judgment was at the very core of their religious system. They had developed a system of standards. And these standards determined the spirituality of an individual. They lived and died by this system of standards. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. And if you did not conform to these standards, you would be judged. And the sad reality is that they could not help but do this. Because the standard had become greater than the Lord. And their faith and hope rest in their standards, not in the word of God. And if they had to stomp you into the ground, their standards were more important than the word of God itself. And we see this today as well in our society and in our churches. Men today determine our worth as a Christian by what they see on the outside. This is the viewpoint of the standard bearer. To be acceptable in his sight, we must dress like they dress, wear our hair like they wear their hair, listen to the music that only they approve. I heard of of a youth director once whose wife told one of the girls in their youth group that she was going to go to her house She was going to go through her closet and throw away every piece of clothes she shouldn't have. And she was going to go through her music collection and throw out every piece of music she thought she shouldn't have. When that girl girl went home and told her mother that, that it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty at all. Who, Who gives us the right to do that, by the way? Righteousness can't be mandated. Do you understand that? Righteousness comes from the heart. We, we dress the way we ought to dress because we love Christ. We, we don't listen to dishonoring music because we love Christ. We, we do the things we do because we love Christ, not because we're trying to impress God or someone else. By the way, you can't do anything to impress God. Do you know that? There isn't anything you can do that God is impressed with because whatever you do has to be greater than what Christ has done. These put all the focus on the outside, all the while having no control of the inside. Look at Matthew chapter 23 with me. I was hoping this was going to be a short message. I think you're just not listening fast enough. Matthew chapter 23. Look in verse 25. Jesus is speaking here. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within... They are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are then full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, But within ye are full of hypocrisy 
and iniquity. Let me just say, if the inside is right, the outside will be right. But you can make the outside right all you want. That's not going to change the inside. We're not called to become standard bearers. We are called to become image bearers of Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8.29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Our inward attitudes should mirror those of Christ. Christ was patient. We see that in his dealing with Peter. Christ was filled with love. He was moved with compassion for the multitudes. And Christ was forgiving. Remember the woman taken in adultery? Christ told her, I I don't judge you. But he did say, sin no more. The standard bearer does all that he does in, in an attempt to gain acceptance and approval in the sight of God and men. The image bearer yields and allows himself to be used by the indwelling spirit of God to manifest the character of Christ through him. Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Paul writes, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or death, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. These critics were filled with jealousy and judgment. Now, is this the group you want to be named in? I think not. But then lastly, we see a third group, and that is the crippled. Back at Mark chapter 2, verses um, 3 through 5, we see, And they, they come unto him, bearing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now here we see a man who was sick of the palsy. Palsy is a disease that affects both the nervous and muscular systems of the body. There are many types of palsy, but all are crippling and debilitating to the inflicted person. A man stricken with palsy was helpless. He could not work. He could not travel. He was at the mercy of those around him. So this brings me to the men associated with the cripple. Uh, The palsy man was so severely afflicted that he could not walk to Jesus. So helpless was he to come to the one who could heal him of his own affliction. But we see here his four friends. Now these men didn't just pity their friend. They didn't just feel sorry for him and wish he could be better. They did something about it. They got him to Jesus. Now, with the time remaining this morning, I want to notice three characteristics of these four men, and then we'll be done. And I, I would hope that we can find these traits in our own lives this morning. First, I want you to notice that these men were filled with compassion. Verse 3, it says, And they come unto him, bearing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. These four men cared enough about their friend to do something about his condition. They were not content to just wait and see and hope for the best. They were moved with compassion and did something meaningful to help him. Each of you here today have relatives or friends who are helplessly and hopelessly lost 
without Christ. What are you doing about it? Are you just sitting back and hoping against hope that they'll get saved? Are you just sitting back and waiting to see if someone else will come up and and help them? Are you witnessing to them? Are you praying for them? Are you willing to carry them to Jesus? Are you willing to go on a Sunday morning and pick them up, put them in your car and take them to church? You say, oh, they get mad at me. I'd rather have a mad friend saved than a content friend condemned to hell. What are we doing today? They were filled with compassion. It moved them to do something. They heard Jesus was there and they said, Jesus can heal this man. So they went and they they grabbed him and his bed and they took off and went to Jesus. They were filled with compassion. Secondly, they were filled with confidence. These men knew that Jesus could help their friend. They were so certain that they went and got him and brought him there. Now, I was going to read Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, but for time's sake, I won't read it. But it's the story, it's the story of the centurion who had the, uh, the sick servant. He came to Jesus. Remember that story? You all remember that story? He came to Jesus, and Jesus said, I will come and heal the, this, this man. And he told Jesus, he said, you don't need to come. All you need to do is speak the word. This centurion had, he had confidence. He, he had confidence in Jesus that, that all Jesus had to do was speak the word and it would be done. Now let's get closer to home this morning. Do you have confidence in Christ today? Do you have confidence for your own salvation? Are you saved today? 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. If you are saved, do you have the confidence to know that you're saved? The confidence to know that you are a witness for Christ? The confidence to know that you have been empowered to live a life of holiness and righteousness before God? Do you have confidence this morning in his sovereignty? Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. You say, oh, I believe in the sovereignty of God. Really? So does he have supreme control of your life, or are you disobedient to him? Because if you truly believe in God's sovereignty, you're going to be obedient to him. Now, we're all guilty of this, so I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. Because there are times when I, myself, am disobedient to God. I know you don't believe that. I know you say, oh, brother, that can't be true. Yes, there is. There are times when I am disobedient to my loving, gracious Father. And in those moments, I do not exhibit a belief in his sovereignty. I may not want to admit that, but that's the truth. We're only so, we only believe in God's sovereignty when we, when we submit to his authority. Otherwise, we deny his sovereignty. Does that bother you to hear that? It should. Because we shouldn't be disobedient, should we? What do we as parents do when our children disobey us? Do you laugh and say, oh, that's so cute. He disobeyed me. Ah, I didn't. And I don't think you do either as a parent. 
So do you think God is content when we disobey him? And we all disobey him. And we disobey him every day. Throughout the day. Several times in a day. These four men were confident that if they could get their friend to Jesus, all would be made well. But then, thirdly, this morning, we see that they were filled with commitment. They were filled with compassion. They were filled with confidence. And thirdly, they were filled with commitment. Back again at Mark chapter 2 and verse 4. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. They were committed. They, they ripped a hole in this guy's roof. Do you think that guy was very happy about that? Huh? Suppose I come over to your house tonight, climb up on your roof and rip a big old hole in it. Would you be happy? I, I doubt if I'd be very happy. I might be happy with the outcome and the result if, some, if it led to someone's salvation. But after that someone was saved, I'd stand back and go, huh, what are we going to do about this hole in my roof? But these men were committed. They didn't just get there and say, oh, well, it's too crowded. We'll just have to try next time. No, they climbed up on the roof. They lifted their friend up in his bed. They, they broke a hole in the roof, made a big old hole. Then they lowered their friend down to Jesus. Now, I could spend an hour just preaching on this, but I think you all understand what I'm trying to say here. They were totally committed to getting their friend to Jesus, no matter what the obstacle, no matter what the cost. Now, back to the beginning of the message. Did you find yourself this morning? Did you find that you're in one of those groups? Did you find that... You're in all of the groups? Are you a part of the crowd seeking what you can get from Jesus, desiring the things you want but neglecting the things God desires? Are you one of the critics? Are you, are you filled with jealousy and judgment? Are, are you a whited sepulcher filled with uncleanness? Are you a crippled this morning, helplessly and hopelessly lost? Unable to do anything for your salvation and unable to do anything to help yourself. Well, the good news is that whatever group you are in, Jesus is here to help you get into the right one. He is here to save your soul and give you the new life. He is here to help you get into the group of the four men who had compassion, confidence, and commitment. He is here today. He is here to change you into the image of his son. Now in just a moment, we'll dismiss this service. And we'll go to our homes. The only question is, will you leave this place the same way you came? Or will you leave this place the way God wants you to be? That's the real question. Because when all of us, and I don't care who you are, when you came in this morning, something was broken. Unless you have holes in your hands and a spare hole in your side, when you came in today, something was broken. Are you going to leave with that something still broken?
Or are you going to submit yourself to, to God? And are you going to let him help you leave with that something fixed? That's the real question today. I'll leave you with these verses of scripture. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. We are, we're all broken, Lord. We're, we, we have things in our lives that isn't right. And we're helpless and hopeless today to fix it. Only you can fix it. Some, some in this room may not, may not know you as their Savior. Only you can fix that. Some in this room may know you as Savior, but we're here for the wrong motives. We're not here for your glory. We're not, we're, we don't gather to you to, to glorify you. We gather to you for our own personal gain. Some here are, are critics. And we're not content. And because we're unhappy, we criticize. And only you can help us. Only you can make us happy. Only you can fill the emptiness in our lives. And some here are, are today are, are, are like the four, but we're not always what we ought to be. So we ask that you would strengthen us. Bless this time that we've had together. May your spirit work freely in our hearts and minds. And may you be glorified in all things. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.